0: Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appétit Foodcast. All right, uh, this week we are airing a recording of a live show we did at the Feast Portland Food Festival a couple weekends ago. Uh, I chatted with Carla Lally, Music, and Andy Bergani about the life of a recipe at Bon Appétit, uh, from development to ultimately a video one thing just bear with us in terms of the audio on this one uh, we were outside at the festival a little music in the background live audience so um you know not the it's not the impeccable sound you might be used to but it's still pretty good uh after that andy Bergani is on in studio uh, to give us his top 10 cooking rules Oh, one more thing before we get started. We released our list of the Hot 10 Best New Restaurants in America last week, uh, both online and in the issue on newsstands now. And what's really cool is that you can be part of that list because on Saturday, October 19th, for one night only, all 10 of the restaurants in the Hot 10 from Conby, the Instagram famous uh I call it a sandwich shop, also that very famous croissants, a Japanese sando joint out in LA, to Cow Noodle in Dallas, to Matt's Barbecue Tacos in Portland, Oregon. Uh, They'll all be there. There'll be endless food from all of them, and an open bar featuring our favorite wine, beer, and spirits. Uh, And you will have first access to limited edition BA merch, and you get to hang out with the whole crew, and both Brad, and Carla, and Claire, and Molly, and Andy, and I'll be there, and... The whole game. Uh, so, buy your tickets now at bahot 10com That's B-A-H-O-T h o t one zero dot com. And now, let's get to the show. All right, hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport. Welcome to the live edition of the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Wait, I can't hear you. You were supposed to cheer. That's a little bit better. We got we got them to come explicitly to be our cheering section. With you here at Feast Portland on a beautiful, sunny-ish Saturday with Carla Music. Hey, Carla. How's it going? I'm a little crusty this morning. <laughs> yeah,
1: the two of you, man. Right. I was all, all tucked in and hydrated. and <laughs> I'm looking at you guys. I'm like, can we help you?
0: <laughs> and that's Andy Bergani. What time did you get home last night, Andy? Not
2: that late. Like, okay. maybe... Okay, yeah. All right. You know. It's respectable. But woke up around 7, so. And went on a hike. And As then went on a, what, like five, six-mile hike, something like that? Wow. Probably, no, it wasn't that long, but it was, there was a... I felt that it was long. very steep. Uh,
0: anyways, right, we are not here to talk about our workout regimes. <laughs> we we could, are here... though. <laughs> talk about, okay, I think a lot of people now on the, in terms of viewers, listeners, users, readers of Bon Appetit, they sort of access the brand through our YouTube channel, which now is, I think, four and a half million subscribers Uh, you guys are on videos every day people love them but the recipes that you guys demonstrate often um, I I like to think Carl maybe this this could be correct but that's more of the finishing line than the starting line for those recipes
1: definitely 99% of the time that those are all existing recipes that we're bringing to life through video
0: yeah and I, I guess one thing with Bon Appetit you know we're a monthly magazine we're also a website all those things I want to talk about that recipe process and how something gets from a chef or from your own minds into the pages of the magazine, eventually into the website, sometimes on a podcast, where they sort of begin and how they can begin in different ways. So you each have a recipe you're going to break down. Carla gets to go first, Andy, because okay. she's Carla. That's okay. Fine.
1: Oh, okay, well, because I'm Carla. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I am going to talk about the gochujang pork shoulder steaks, which is a kind of an old-ish recipe. I think it was in our 2016 uh, July issue, which is um, it was a Korean grilling story. So for that story, I actually got to get out of New York City. I went to four or five different cities. I met with chefs across the country who demoed their Korean recipes for me. So it was really started as like a research and a reporting trip. And when I got to Seattle, I spent time with Rachel Yang at her restaurant, Jewel. She was a Hot 10 uh, winner.
0: Yeah, maybe 2014 or so. Yep,
1: already had a relationship with us. And she hosted me at her restaurant before service one day, opened up a giant pork shoulder steak, started butchering it, and really took me through like start to finish. Her marinade, her technique for butchering, the grilling technique, and I left with a recipe in hand came back.
0: Wait, can we just talk about pork yeah. shoulder steaks for a second? I would, lo- I could talk because about them for more than a second. How many uh, Korean barbecue fans we have out there in the stands? <laughs> Thank you. Your check's in the mail. Um, <laughs> but I think as it's become increasingly popular in the States and we've done a lot more recipes, just that sort of awakening to the fact that you can take these cuts of meat like short rib or, or, or pork shoulder and you don't have to braise them for four hours. You right. can slice them relatively thinly and grill them quickly and they're so juicy and so flavorful. And I've always been like, why was I not doing this before?
1: Yeah, I don't even know if I knew that it was going to be shoulder when we agreed on the recipe. And I remember being really kind of astonished at how the texture of it. And she cut some like three quarter inch thick. Yeah. So they're not even like paper thin, super like super quick cooking. Um And that's kind of the beauty of getting to spend time, like, face-to-face with a chef, that you can ask them these questions in real time. Whoa, whoa, like, (laughs) I thought you had to... You're like, that's
0: not too thick? What's the deal?
1: Exactly, and she explained the marbling, the different muscle groups, all of the internal fat, and how that creates just, like, a very juicy, delicious, finished grilled product that, that really you can eat the pork, like pink and juicy
0: yeah and also I think what's so great about doing pork shoulder steaks and for all you listeners out there definitely check it out because like I love a beautiful rib you know Berkshire Heritage Reed pork shop but you're sometimes paying $25 a pound for that right with the pork shoulder it's substantially less
1: yeah there it's one of the more affordable cuts
0: so the recipe like that so you you you're hanging out with Rachel you're cooking it together then you fly back to New York and then what happens
1: so then I came home and uh, I had my saw written kids. notes, yeah. saw my kids. I'm like, I'm back. Um, and writing up the recipe, the way that I work is I'll take whatever that learning was, turn it into a written recipe, and then... Because
0: chefs rarely have a written recipe, right?
1: Yeah, a lot of times. It depends. But the, she, I think she did have a recipe, but it was scaled to make maybe three quarts of marinade. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of take all of that, come back and write it up in the proportions and the quantities that are gonna work for our serves four, serves six. And then it goes into the test kitchen for development. And that process is really making sure that the way that you've interpreted, written up this recipe and adapted it to like, not having to buy a whole pork shoulder and butcher it yourself, but be be able to go to the butcher counter and just order four three quarter inch thick steaks is going to translate. It's going to taste the same. It's going to look the same. Yeah,
0: and what about in terms of ingredients, like working with a professional chef, like how often, Andy, will, let's say, an editor-in-chief say to you, why do we need this many ingredients? No one's going to go out
2: and buy all these things. Can't you make this simpler for the reader? And I try to do that. <laughs> I don't always succeed, but I try. But I think, like, I've learned just when it comes to recipe development, like, you can't put too many crazy ingredients. And chefs definitely, they have... Uh, uh, access to all these incredible ingredients and it's great to go to a restaurant and try that but home cooks they're less likely to do that at home.
1: Yeah, it's different when you have something already in your pantry to be like, oh I'll grab this and throw it in there. They have it and we have we're telling a reader to like go get it.
0: And also like sometimes go go to three different stores to source these like sort of artisanal ingredients and that's just I'm always like I'm not gonna do that. We would never Like tell do me that. the one or two things I definitely need and maybe if I feel like it'll get the third or fourth, but yeah. Just, so, so you start. So then you come back and you start to sort of recreate the recipe as close to possible as what you tasted when Rachel. Yeah. Then like, what are how, What's the challenges with that?
1: Making sure that once you're in a home cooked kitchen with a regular grill, the kinds of pots and pans we're going to use. You know, things like she did her marinade in a giant hotel pan because yeah. it was a huge quantity, and she would pour it over and put it in there. So then coming back and like, all right, do we want people to put this into a resealable bag? Is it going to be in a pie plate? Mm. You know, just things like that to adapt to. Ooh, I like
0: the pie plate idea.
1: Yeah, sure. And then, you know, she was using a Vitamix blender. You know, will that will that work? Could we even do it in a food processor if you had to? If you had to, like, whisk all these ingredients together, would that work?
0: Could Andy do it in one of his 17 mortar and pestles?
1: Could you do it in yeah. a mortar and pestle? Definitely just so it <laughs> would take a little bit longer, that's all. Yeah. And then comparing things to the supermarket size tub, right? So to get an ingredient like gochujang, which at the time that we ran that story, maybe still was a specialty ingredient item, um, figuring out which brands
0: It's a red chili paste. It's a paste. fermented red,
1: red. Um, chili paste yeah. that... You know, now is a lot more I see it a lot more around. Um, but at that time, it was like, all right, which is the brand that we want to get behind? Are we going to include a shopping link for that? Are we going to tell people where to get it? Does it make a difference collecting all the ingredients?
0: And also, um, you, you've brought this up point before with like buying store bought condiments. I think we've talked about this on a different podcast, something like Harissa. You can buy five different brands of Harissa and they might all taste different in terms of one might be saltier than the other so you got to be that also factors in how much to use in the in a recipe
1: Yep, spice levels can like really vary texture yeah and then a big thing for us is just getting the the recipe language right you know the time and temperature putting things in the order that they're actually going to be used making sense of the recipe so that someone can read your recipe not having done an interview with Rachel Yang and seen her do it but then execute it at home and there was no video component at that time so it needed to like translate off the page into something that someone would want to make
0: alright so my question Andy do you remember at all when Carla was testing this recipe in the test kitchen uh no I, I, I
1: think it was before your time it was, it was just four yeah. Time before square. yeah I
2: got there and then uh, but for I remember when she did the video, though. So, yeah. but was
0: so you do you test it? You're making the marinade, and it's kind of a bright orange marinade. Yeah. Marinate them, then you hit, throw them on a really hot grill. Yeah. We have a at the BA test kitchen, we have a sort of an indoor restaurant-style grill with a hood and stuff, and you grill them till crispy, and then you serve them up at a tasting. Like, what yep. has that work?
1: Yep. And then, so internally, we have editors will come to the tasting. So, this was a little bit unusual because I think I wrote and edited that package, but. Um, you put the food up for tasting, sort of in the presentation that that we want it to appear on the page. Can, every, also-
0: can any editor? Can anyone come to a tasting, or Definitely is it a select not. guest list? No. Carla yeah. at some point was like, there is a select guest list for tastes. It's not just a free for all. That's right. You have to be invited. Yeah. It's like a club. You're, if you're not on the list, yeah. maybe we'll give an open call for leftovers.
2: Yeah,
1: because when you put food down in that place, like jackals just come out of the woodwork.
2: Everybody comes And down. it's like,
1: whoa, 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 that's not for you. It's much more free and breezy these days. Can I
0: just say, I want reta- to tell, I'll relate this story <laughs> because when we test recipes at BA, the cook, the developer, presents it for a taste You'd maybe have four people there to give feedback, to say whether or not it's whatever. I was doing my mom's pumpkin chiffon pie recipe the other day for a possible thanksgiving.com thing. Normally when you make a pie for people, they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. This is amazing. This is the best pie I've ever had. These people just sit there kind of without saying a word. They're like, how much salt did you put in this crust? Yeah. Or it's like, it's tasting kind of sweet. How much sugar do you use? Or... Carl is like, I think this pie's weeping. Did you freeze it and then thaw it? and like?
1: Yeah. You were lucky wh- or, or unlucky depending on how you look at it because Claire Saffitz was shooting a gourmet makes that day yeah. and she's, <laughs> she's like the, the pie baking queen. queen and like all of a sudden Claire's at your tasting. What was Sa- really... Just
0: kind of chewing oh, but not I saying anything and you're like, is this good? Is it bad? It was a very sobering experience. Not what the did normal. she have to say? She liked the flavor. We did decide and if we're going to get it right that do not try to freeze it first. I realize we're getting off track from pork chops here, but it's kind of like a pumpkin mousse pie. The mousse freezes, then it defrosts, but it gets kind of crystally. And, and yeah. I don't know why my mom said to freeze it first. I think I, it was a weird do-ahead. Well, do we ahead. talked about this
1: a little later. Yeah. You were like, I don't know why. She always put it in the freezer, but like hers wasn't icy. And then and then we did have a conversation about like a home freezer compared to our region is probably not as cold and during thanksgiving you're going in and out of that fridge a lot so the overall temperature was probably just not the deep freeze well short answer is i still need to
0: work on that (laughs) recipe do you remember when you put this this, these pork chops which i made and i think are just phenomenal was it like first try boom we're good
1: pretty much i think then we were um thinking a lot about all of the other elements that go together to make the the full spread for a Korean barbecue. So getting the lettuce wrappers right. She also gave me her recipe for, I'll never forget this, for chopstick ready rice, which Ooh. was short grain rice that, you know, rinsed but not rinsed so much that all of the surface starch is gone so that it'll still stick to the end of your chopsticks, which was really cool. So then getting all the, the condiments, The pair of shears for snipping it into really thin slices. She likes a couple slices of raw garlic in hers, a little bit of jalapeno. So So, does a meal.
0: Yeah, getting the whole
1: spread. So does a meal. Yeah. So
0: we ended up doing this beautiful story in the magazine like three, four years ago, photo shoot, beautifully styled. So then four years later, you're a big YouTube star. You've got to come up with recipes every couple recipes every month to do as videos. Why did you look to a recipe four years ago to all of a sudden do a video in 2019 with?
1: Well, like you said, I've made this recipe many, many times in the interim years. I think there's so much great learning. I love how simple it is. I think the flavors are amazing. Um, Rachel Yang continues to like open restaurants. She's got one here in Portland now. And so just a, a really great recipe that... Whenever you're doing a video for a recipe that you can really, for me, it's like, what are the ones that I can talk about passionately and with excitement and with all of that learning, like having the benefit of getting to interview her first person, that experience. And then, and then you're just, it makes the videos more fun when it's food that like you're, I I'm connected to that. recipe. One thing
0: thing we always talk about with our videos and the test kitchen talent in air quotes, that you guys are not. Just like talking heads, you're the people who are actually testing these recipes, cooking them, developing them, making them at home. So you actually can speak convincingly and passionately about them and knowledgeably. So with a the video, then you've made it, uh, tested it, you've done it for a photo shoot. How does creating cooking a recipe video differ for you guys than it might be in other situations?
2: I, you know, honestly, sometimes I only can speak for myself when it comes to the video, and I'm making a recipe that I've made countless times it's been cross-tested people have made it people have reviewed it sometimes I will just completely forget what the steps
0: are it's almost like sometimes like Andy's on a podcast with me and I'm asking about some (laughs) recipe he did two months ago and he's like oh wait I need to check the magazine I'm like didn't you no, prepare for this podcast no, you made this recipe you I, don't even know what's but in we it we
2: develop so many recipes it's like it's sometimes and it's all of us I have to say now i'm gonna bring everybody in like chris molly will all forget because it it's like we developed this recipe months ago and then the video well, let me used. ask you when
0: you're doing a video is it on your iCal that says you're doing a video that day and says what it's about and you can prepare for it yes you can ask,
2: yes sometimes the video team they send that invite a little bit late but yes <laughs> I mean
1: one of the biggest difference okay. when we're doing video is we have the support of a video production team and we have Rhoda who's the culinary food director for video Rhoda Boone and yep. they Rhoda Boone, Rhoda B and they make our life like really I mean for so the So in first, that way you are
0: like that, you show up and everything's prepped kinda, out. For and the first ready year that we
1: did videos, so if you go wit to the way, way back, like my very first like steak video or my um, egg poached eggs three ways video I would do, it was like Vinny from Brad's show, and you would have the food editor, and we had to do all our setup and all our thing, and if we needed swaps, we had to make them a day in advance. And now we have like a full-fledged, like real amount of support, it makes it.
0: And it's not that you're not willing to do the work, it's just that one thing that was just interesting about a video, especially if it's a baked good, you you actually are doing like three versions of it. You have the prep, you have like the finished version, you have another one for a food beauty, so it's like a beauty shot just to get it when without it being eaten and everything. So it's like there's a lot more layers yeah. than just that. So you did this and with this video how did do? how many views does this video have for the This for was the really popular.
1: Steaks? I didn't look it up before I sat down, but... If um, anyone has their think,
0: phone, you want to Google, yeah. what's it called? Pork...
1: Bon Appetit. Yeah, YouTube. That's the gochujang pork shoulder steak. Um, it did really well. And, and we, in our, what our wish list was really to get Rachel, if Rachel had been in New York and could be in the video with me, that would have mm-hmm. been like the big, that would have been like number one choice. Then we wanted to like FaceTime with her, but she's a busy person. So yeah. I ended up really just talking about meeting her and all of her like the quotes and the learning I that I got from was her.
0: Cool. When that video went up, even someone who works at BA, like I said, you're kind of like working a year ahead for some issues or three months ahead or something for four months. I had forgotten about that recipe. And then the video went up and then that weekend i was at eight hands farm on the north fork of long island and i was like oh yeah that and they i saw a pork shoulder and i remember saying to the butcher guy i'm like oh can you slice those into steaks for me and he was like you're gonna do what right and i'm like trust me it's gonna be good i'll send you a photo when it's done and they were amazing
1: you were yeah. like i watched a video i'm yeah. pretty sure but yeah I, <laughs> but
0: even for me it works there uh, so andy you have a different experience wait do we had did you find out 600,000 views.
1: I've gotten tagged in a lot of pork shoulder steaks over the last two months, which is one of the ways we we measure these things. That's yeah. it, because there's like
0: viewing and then there's engagement. Engaging people who actually go and cook the recipes. And right. that's when you know like a video or whatever is really successful that people are actually making it and really aren't just watching it, but really doing it. So you you don't, we, we kept you in the test kitchen, Andy, in for house. this story. You didn't yes. get to travel to L.A. and Seattle no, 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 and Chicago no. and everywhere else that like Carl did for this one article. But you had a, you had an article that was, very personal to you
2: yes this was in our february 2018 healthy issue it was a a middle eastern primer from me and i've been lucky enough to travel around the middle east and it was these kind of
0: your family's from where exactly my family's
2: from iran uh live in california Shout out to Iran. Shout out to Iran. (laughs) I've been to Lebanon, been to Turkey, and I just love all those flavors and ingredients. And I definitely uh, integrated into my cooking at BA and my recipes. And so the story had kind of these these rules uh, and techniques about different ingredients uh, around the region. And one of them uh, focused on the spice saffron. I think we all know... People know that it's just very expensive or it's actually the most expensive spice in the world. Uh, but that's pretty much it. People might know what it looks like, the color, but they don't know how to use it exactly. So we kind of broke that down, but I knew the dish that I wanted to make with it. And it's a very traditional dish called tachin, uh which is a baked, Iranian baked rice, rice, rice dish. Uh, and you form this wonderful crust underneath that's with, called the tadik. With ba- basmati rice, with right? With basmati rice, yes. So in Iran, you use basmati rice, so that's kind of uh, uh, the rice, that's the go-to rice. And uh, I just knew how my mother made it and my extended family made it, and I, I love this dish. Uh, it's, it's, you kind of make this batter with yogurt, uh, egg yolks, and bloom saffron, uh, you bloom, bloom it with a little bit of water, or you could do orange blossom water or rose water, and then you mix it all up, and then you add parboiled rice to it. And then add it to a baking dish that's been greased, bake it, invert it, you get this wonderful crust. but. I had a lot of issues with the one that I grew up with. Sorry, Mom. Uh, it's just not... I know. Adam's like, you're always dissing your mom on the podcast. Uh, you're dissing everyone on the podcast. <laughs> it's it's uh, typically baked in uh, a 9 by 8, a 13 or uh, baking dish, and it's just rectangular. It doesn't look that great. It's just not... Doesn't look cool to me. Mom, it's like,
0: moms, love them some Pyrex. Yeah, they love the Pyrex. <laughs>
2: so I knew I wanted to kind of change the shape of it. And uh, typically, you will layer uh, chicken or some kind of some kind of meat uh, in the rice uh, bef- before you put it in the oven. And I said I want to do a vegetarian version, and I want it to be round, not rectangular. I thought that's gonna just change the way it looks. It's it's, and I wanted to make it as seamless as possible. So uh, I took the I omitted the chicken kept the rice pretty simple by just rinsing it and parboiling it. Wait, can it? we can I interrupt? So, yeah.
0: if you guys, if anyone wants to know how to make basmati rice, yeah. do not text Andy Barraghani. <laughs> I one time texted him... It, I was like, dude, if I do this, it'll be like nine forty-five when I eat. You had to like rinse it seven times, do this, soak it, drain it again. You just
2: have to do be th- more efficient and organized in the kitchen. It's, it's <laughs> <like it's> a, <laughs> it was a
0: very involved process.
1: Oh, step number one is like probably your basmati isn't fresh or aromatic yeah, no. enough, like so you're probably, gonna have to go
2: buy some more. Yes, you have come to come back. Go, yes, yes. Probably your basmati rice is not right. But
0: uh. all right. So let's say let's say you went through your process and you you. So you parboil it. You parboil it.
2: Uh, you rinse it until the, the water is very clear. You parboil it in uh, heavily salted water. It should taste like the ocean. Uh, and then drain it. I rinse it with a bit of cold water to stop the cooking. And then you make uh, the yogurt mixture, uh, which is made with plain uh, yogurt, whole milk, not Greek. Uh, so it's on the thinner side. And then uh, a few egg yolks uh, to add some additional fat. Uh, a little bit of neutral oil, canola, vegetable, Uh, and then the saffron. The thing with saffron, the way to really use it, uh, is you don't crumble it between your fingers, but you break it down to a powder, and Mm. you could use a mortar and pestle, which is what I tend to do, and I add a pinch of uh, kosher salt or uh, sugar that acts as an abrasive to really break it down. Or if you go through a lot of saffron, like my mother, she uses a spice mill that's dedicated just for saffron, uh, and she'll add, like, a sugar cube, and she'll do maybe like half a cup's worth of uh, saffron threads and really break it down to a fine powder.
1: But didn't you, you've also told me a story about how, what saffron she uses. Like you've told me basically (laughs) any saffron that you can buy it's not good enough. <laughs> it's not. Kind not, of. Not exa-
0: it's I not will say this. Andy's mom once sent me my own bag of basmati rice. That's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been told whatever I was using was not good enough. So she actually FedExed
2: it from, from Berkeley.
1: And she has like a special stash of saffron, she too. She does.
2: So the saffron that I get is from my mother, and the saffron that, get, that my mother gets is from It's like from the U.S. government won't even allow you to import it. Probably. Well, my family that goes to Iran and comes back, they'll bring the saffron yes. for her. So there's that. But You've got to give
0: j- a pinch to the TSA guy just yeah. to get through, <laughs> just <a little> <laughs> get through customs.
2: But typically you see saffron. It comes from uh, Iran, uh, which uh, is probably produces the most saffron uh, in the world. And then India, uh, as well as Spain. This is a three, the big three. It comes from the crocus flower, and I believe there's three threads per stigmas. Stamen. Per f- I think the yeah, word yeah, stamen. A stamen. Yeah, stamen. Per flower, and it only can be done by hand. So this is the reason why it's such an expensive Spice,
1: And it's also why you should be dubious of inexpensive saffron. It's one of those that, like, if it's less than you thought it was going to be, there's probably a problem.
2: There's there's definitely a problem. It's not the good stuff. So with this dish, you break it down to a powder. But that's just the first of two steps. Once it's broken down to a powder, you need to bloom, you need to extract uh, the flavor and the color from the spice. So you can do this by adding a little bit of warm water, as I mentioned, occasionally orange blossom water uh, or rose water. Those are the kind of the three ways. I usually tend to go with water just to kind of keep to really taste the saffron flavor and not uh, mix it with uh, with other, other flavors. So it
1: doesn't need a fat to bloom? It's hydrophilic or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. So wow. you,
2: in some ways, you, you could do it in oil but you already have the oil in the yogurt mixture. Uh, and then you add this uh, saffron water to the yogurt mixture and then it just looks...
0: You, yeah, for all the listeners out there, Google this recipe. What's the recipe called again? In the uh, li- crispy
2: baked saffron rice. It's
0: very dramatic. It's it gold. I mean, it's like glowing orangish yellow with this amazing crust, and yeah. it's and dome shaped. And you have the are there pomegranate seeds?
2: So there's not a pomegranate seeds. You you have this golden rice mixture. Uh, you add it to the the oil. Uh, grease the pan. I use a round uh, pie dish. I think that's the way to go, um, a shallow glass pan. And I do that because you can see when the crust is ready underneath. Oh, so cool. Rather than a metal pan where yeah. you're just, it's a guessing game, you can see how long uh, it'll take. And it usually takes about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes in the oven. And then you take it out of the oven and invert it and you get this extremely fragrant, deeply golden uh, crust. Uh, and then typically what you do is you top it with a mixture of um, barberries, a type of shrub. I, I,
1: oh, I remember talking about barberries. You were like, "Well, it should be barberries." <laughs> me-
2: someone was just this? like, "No, we're not and doing it." I that. was like, "Andy." I was like, "Okay, okay, it'll be <laughs> optional. It'll be optional." Uh, and so, typically, it's topped with barberries that have been uh, cooked in a little bit of butter. Uh, and sugar top said it's said uh, it's it's really sour so you need to sweeten them a little bit and then sometimes almonds or pistachios also go in that mixture with this one you do have the barberries that are optional but i think sour uns, uh, unsweetened sour cherries a lot of sour dried sour cherries you find already sweetened go for the unsweetened sour cherries that are uh, warmed in a little bit of butter some sugar and some uh, I think that's some currants also went in there, yeah, I think and there they was and they just plump up and then you top it uh, on the tachine and it's this really crunchy, very satisfying dish that g- I gave a little facelift question <laughs> yeah, well, uh, right what? you
1: skipped over, so just I know this is something we were talking about before, but kind of in that decision to switch from the nine by thirteen to the round, like part of that decision, and I skipped over this as well is like we have to think about the visual of the dish and how it's gonna shoot for the magazine. And so his decision making that he's going through is like, I don't want it to be a big rectangle in a on a big rectangular platter, that you're, it's just more beautiful as a round. Yes. And so as, you're, as we're going, we're taking reference photos of the test kitchen version, which we post a lot on social media too. And then that's what our photo department uses yeah. When they're shooting the story as their reference.
0: And like the color and stuff should be similar to this, it should be this crispy. And yad if yad it yad
1: doesn't, we hold up the photo yeah. and we're oh, like, yeah. but it we gave you a reference photo. And then we
0: demand a reshoot. <laughs> and yeah. let me show you this. So, so with a traditional recipe like this, that often sort of raises the hackles. Is that the phrase? Mm. Maybe? Yes. Anyone? Yeah of the sort of the online authenticity police out there did you hear from people who were complained or said this isn't the real way to do it blah blah blah, blah.
2: i have to say i think i checked yesterday there were 18 reviews i think it's it's five stars people <laughs> are so happy with this recipe and i'm surprised because i thought people just wouldn't make it because there's saffron in it but but really, saffron's the only odd ingredient. Everything else is very simple. Uh, but did any define. fellow
0: Persian folks complain? All or the mothers, point out the aunts, the, the uncles. They signed oh, wow. off. They, signed
2: off. they were very, I just got a DM the other day about this recipe. Were you
1: nervous, though, that they were going to be like, that's not how I make it? And if it's not like this, then it's not real? Nope. Wait, no. wait,
0: front row guest, can you Google how many uh, <laughs> views Andy's crispy rice got? She's on
2: it. I have been very vocal like when I do a Persian recipe, I am not cooking my mother's recipe that I grew up with. I am doing my own version and I'm bringing my kind of experience working in restaurants, working in test kitchens to kind of make the recipe as seamless as possible and so that people will make it. Right. So that's the goal.
0: How much? 698, 698. Nice. All right, guys, we're not supposed to do this on the podcast because it's going to annoy our producer Emma back in New York. we're going to do it anyways. Are there any questions from you folks in the audience who want to know how these guys do their videos or develop the recipes or whatnot? How long does it take to develop a specific recipe from day one? Let's say let's go with an in-house recipe where you're kind of creating something on your own with an idea until it's actually photoed photograph for the magazine? I would
2: say it's definitely a little bit faster than going with the outside recipe. It's really like, the story needs to be greenlit by Adam. Adam needs to approve the story. Then I need to come up with a lineup uh, or recipe idea, pitch that, have Carla approve it. (laughs) I'm fast. So there is literally a lot of cooks in this kitchen. So people have to approve it. And then once Adam and Carla approve it, then I could actually go to the kitchen and start Playing around, developing, cook it once, twice on my own, see, see what works. I tend to go in a where I go when it comes to developing recipes. I go into my little corner, don't really talk to people except for Chris Morocco. <laughs> uh, we shared the uh, station three, station three. Uh, and Shout then, out to station three. <laughs> and then once I feel like the recipe tastes right, looks right, and again. People, I feel like people will actually make the recipe, that's when I'll put it up for tasting and then cross my arms and be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> it
1: really, I would say it depends so much. So how many, I yeah.
2: I'd, I'd say two, three weeks? Yeah.
1: yeah. Weeks. I think it depends so much on whether the recipe is one that is part of your personal repertoire or if it's one that you've come up with as an original idea to satisfy a story concept. And sometimes we'll come up with lineups for recipes that sound great and fit the editorial mission, but are like, okay, now I have to go figure out how to make that. Um, So it can be arranged, and I think, you know, something that's very iconic, sometimes the BA Best recipes uh, Chris Morocco, who we just mentioned, did BA's best chocolate chip cookie. I mean, that man, it's already been published. He's still working on it. Yeah. Sometimes he makes like the this, cookie, like, and I'm like, Chris, let it go, or man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just like, yeah. <laughs> so like, I
1: can still tweak it online. yeah, I do
0: think with those recipes, I think there's interesting. Sometimes you have an idea in your head, and you then you start to make it, and you might realize that actually the cut of meat that you thought might not be the best. Or visually, it, it might taste good, but then you do a tasting, and the visually, you're like, this looks kind of bland we need something else to make it look good enough for the magazine, so then you got to revise it again. Yeah, also, I think with you guys, you're working on that recipe, but you're also working on multiple other things, so it's not like you're only working on that one recipe four days in a row. Right. So you got to sort of weave it into everything else.
1: We try to leave, like, two- to three-week turnaround from idea to something that we're handing over to be photographed. But sometimes we have two days, and sometimes we'll work on something for two months. So. We've,
2: we've definitely worked on a recipe for, like, two days. I'll just... from I have. I'm like an you, Carla. Carla, have
0: you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. we so been some crashes. Uh, any other questions out there in the audience? Yes, sir. So,
1: the pizza series. Yeah, the
0: pizza series. So, the, que- the question was about our series, Making Perfect, which was a five-part series in quest of the perfect pizza which sort of rallied the entire test kitchen team? Carla and Molly we went to Italy to learn to make mozzarella. We had Andy, to. You and Brad were walking around. We did sauce. Sauce. Yeah, <laughs> <sauce>. uh, <laughs> Claire did dough. How many days total? So that was a five-part series. Each episode was about 40 minutes or so? Yes. Yeah. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on our OTT channel. But that was multiple days.
1: I think we were shooting over the course of five or six weeks, and the various chapters were different lengths. Like, for Sauce, I think you guys had two and a half or three days, but for Cheese... We had to go to Italy, and then we had, had to like to. fly back. Um, so I think Molly and I probably worked on hours for maybe six or seven days, whereas you guys worked on sauce for like two.
0: Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. easily. And um, and we actually have a new season of Making Perfect coming out in good. middle of October. Stay tuned yeah. for that one. Can't can't reveal the no, topic just yet. yet.
1: It's a se- it's a perfect secret.
0: Yeah, so a good one. Uh, any other questions? <laughs> this guy is very disappointed in the front row. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Uh, well, thank you so much, Feast Portland, for having us. Andy Bergani, Carla Music. Thanks, guys. Thank thanks, you. Adam. All right. And thank you for the cheering. Andy Bergani, it's your top 10
2: cooking rules.
0: Are you ready to do this?
2: I am. It, I mean, I would say these are pretty much my top 10, but these are also just like 10 cooking rules to, to know.
0: Well, these are now officially your top 10 because <laughs> they're on the podcast. First question before I get started. Yes. Is there any order you want me to go?
2: Yeah, I would like you to go from 1 to 10. I feel like I kind of, in for myself, I feel like I was kind of neurotic about the organization, just from like organization to plating. I feel like we're in a therapy
0: session right now. Always. I feel like that's <laughs> always the case with me. <laughs> okay, number one. Group-like tasks.
2: Yes, yeah, so this was very much I was thinking about mise en place, but I wanted to go a little bit beyond that and just basically the example for this is if you're doing something like bacon an apple pie, peel all the apples first, then slice them. Don't peel and chop each mm. one before moving on to the next yep. one. Uh, this way I feel like you really become a faster, more efficient cook.
0: And you kind of know when everything is done you can move on to the next step. And exactly. Everything portioned out, etc. I yes. like that one. Ooh, and I really like number two.
2: Always go
0: for full fat period.
2: Yeah, I think this is something very much uh, at BA we all know and we tell our our readers, our viewers uh, to do, but I still think a lot of people are buying the 1% and 2% uh, milk or yogurt. And the thing is that the yogurt, milk, cottage cheese, there's no replacement for full dairy fat uh, that uh, 1% of the dreaded nonfat just lacks flavor and has like a chalky texture to it.
0: It lacks substance. I mean, I drink a lot of iced coffee, and God forbid they give you skim milk or 1%, and you pour it in there, and you pour in more, and you pour in more, and it doesn't alter the sort of the construct of the coffee. It's just mm-hmm. like this kind of gray, watery substance, whereas it's like a dash of good whole milk it is does all you the need. Trick. Yeah, exactly. Number three skip boxed or canned stock when making soups, braises, or stews.
2: Yeah, this is something I very much. Uh, I made a change uh, probably three years into BA, or excuse me, like one year into BA, so for the last three years, where I just stopped calling for stock for any of my recipes. Because if you're not if you're not making your stock at home, or if you're not buying really, really good stock somewhere that uh, you trust, I would just use good water. I think just like- Did you just say good water? Good water. <laughs> New, good water is New York water. I wouldn't say, like Florida water is not so great water. That's going to taste like a- Swamp, I mean, it's like, oh, cat. Cat. can't wait for the
0: Florida emails. <laughs> so uh, I
2: just think it's like you, it's. Um, but then where
0: does the flavor come from?
2: I would add maybe an extra bundle of herbs. I'd add, say, maybe some chopped onions, or, or sweat some carrots, onions, some mirepoix. Add a little bit of uh, extra fat mm-hmm. uh, if you want. But the box or canned socks that you would get, most likely, it's like a little too sweet because there's too much carrot and too much onion,
0: or it just tastes like bad water. It doesn't or it just taste tastes like, like anything. Bad water. Yeah, yeah. I think one. I got a tip years ago. With Zach Palacio was doing an article with him at GQ about making a braise, and what he likes to do is just put in more vegetables than you think, and really cook them down till they get kind of caramelized and release a lot of those natural sugars, and then that just sort of imbues the entire braise with more flavor than you might think. Uh, All right, number four. Hmm. Choose oils with taste in mind.
2: Yeah, this is kind of, uh, I thought about this one. I think uh, I love extra virgin olive oil. That's definitely the oil I I use the most. But it's not the only oil I have in my kitchen. And I think people should be aware of that. Uh, If I'm cooking, let's say, uh, lap from... uh, a dish from Laos and Thailand, I'm not going to be using extra virgin olive oil because that's not what they use. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be using more of a neutral oil. I'll probably be using peanut oil. Uh, If I'm deep frying, I'm going to be using a neutral oil um, just because of the higher smoking point. Uh,
0: Also also cost, it doesn't make sense to use like two cups of expensive extra virgin olive oil I mean, if you can afford to, and you're making zucchini flowers, God bless you. But yeah, if you're making, I made fried chicken like cutlets last night, katsu style, and I just used safflower oil because yep. so I was not going to use extra virgin olive oil for that.
2: Even with olive oil, like you can use that robust peppery olive oil uh, for maybe finishing certain dishes if you if you like if you're into that, uh, or you could use more of the kind of lighter, more fruity, uh, delicate olive oil. Uh, that you'll see from like the Liguria region, and that's uh, some that I definitely use that a lot more.
0: Yeah. But even like, like I said when I was making these sort of chicken cutlets katsu style, like I was going to serve them with rice and some little cupy mayo and some pickled ginger, maybe a little soy sauce. I think maybe, or maybe I would have fried a little bit in olive oil had I been doing more of like a Milanese deal, where I was doing arugula and tomatoes and lemon and olive oil on yes. top. And then, like I said, wh- which country are you leaning to, and how would they do it?
2: Exactly. Think about the cuisine and the type of flavors that you're uh, you're working with.
0: Um, all right, number five: Your Molly Baz rule. Uh, Blanch or boil vegetables in heavily salted water.
2: Is this Molly Bos rule? She, she, salt is just her rule. She I ha- feel yeah, like.
0: yeah, she's just like she's very salty, <laughs> literally and figuratively.
2: <laughs> so uh, this is not just uh, to. Flavor. Flavor uh, your ingredients that you're, you're blanching because uh, the salt, uh, salted water will do that. But also, it's just it brightens the flavor, but enhances their color. Try blanching green beans in water that isn't heavily salted, and it's just going to turn this kind of grayish green mm. color. It won't be bright. Uh, my rule of thumb is kind of I do a quarter cup to two quarts of water. And
0: when you say a quarter cup, you you are using... I'm using
2: quarter cup diamond uh, crystal kosher salt.
0: Yeah, and if you were using just like old fashioned bald I mean, if you were use, and if you were using old fashioned Morton's iodized salt, you would use less. I
2: would use probably about uh, I don't know the exact ratio, but probably a little over two t- two tablespoons. Mm-hmm. Number six, we were just arguing
0: about this in the test kitchen yesterday. Oh, great no.
2: che-
0: great <laughs> cheese yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering where you stand on this. Uh, this is something I just never, ever have done. I don't remember growing up uh, where my parents bought shredded cheese already. I never bought like, pre-shredded cheese. It just didn't feel right. Uh, they are convenient, I will admit, but uh, they often lack flavor and have stabilizers most of the time, which keeps them from kind of uh, uh, clinging on to one another. So I just avoid it at all costs.
0: I I'd make exceptions um, if you can. If you're like at an Italian market where you know they're bringing in a lot of their own product, and sometimes they will sell their own already blitzed Parmesan. and the real really finely ground pebbly shape um, and I'd like to buy that if I'm making pasta for a bunch of people just to be able to add that to the pasta as I'm tossing it I'll still probably bring a hunk of parmesan to the table and let people grate it themselves mm-hmm. at the table but in terms of folding in but that's different than grocery store or parm or whatever that was graded who knows where or when etc. Yeah,
2: that is completely different and I actually I could get behind that because also parmesan just yeah, has a uh, it's it's a firm cheese, mm. so there's less water content. So, and I imagine, like, if you go to an Italian, uh, like, boutique supermarket, uh, boutique market, it's like there's going to just be in and out. Yeah, People a lot of turnover. That's al- turnover.
0: I think that's also a great rule. I'm going to add more to my rules. always shop at a place that has a lot of turnover.
2: Yes. You know, you know, the
0: ingredients can be fresh. All right, number seven. Hmm. Two acids are better than one.
2: Yeah, this is something very much I learned in restaurants, I'll say. I mean, this could be applied to also fats, but we'll focus on acids for now. Uh, this is, say, like when I'm, if you look at, I'd say, every one of my salad recipes, I'm adding a splash of vinegar, but I'm also either adding a squeeze of, uh, let's say, citrus juice or citrus zest, most likely. Mm-hmm. And these two types of acid just kind of, Bring a more complex flavor. But in addition to that, I wouldn't just think of acid as just like vinegar and citrus, but also buttermilk, uh, yogurt. Uh, a little tang. Tamarind, yes. Yeah. Sour yeah. cherry. So it's really kind of thinking of like what is acidic. It's and interesting because
0: it like if you're just using all vinegar, sometimes it can be a little more assertive than you want. And then that citrus juice sort of leavens it a bit. Exactly. All right, number eight. Add hard herbs early in the cooking process as they infuse the dish through heat. Yes. Add soft, tender herbs towards the very end so they stay raw and bright.
2: I mean that—that's the rule. There are exceptions, I will say that. So uh, I am when I'm making a pot of beans, chickpeas, braises. Uh, stews, I'm adding my bay leaves, when I say hard herbs, I mean bay leaves, rosemary, uh, thyme, or sage. Oregano. Oregano, if you're into savory like I am, savory. Uh, I add it early on to infuse the dish, uh, but if I'm making, let's say, I'm finishing that that said braise or soup, uh, then I uh, would if I'm using 10 herbs, I would chop it up. Maybe I'll make a salsa verde, or maybe I'm gonna be stirring the chopped herbs in and just so it could add this kind of grassy, bright flavor and bring it back to life. So,
0: basil, cilantro, parsley. Yes. Number nine, not entirely sure what you're getting at here, but have a secret weapon.
2: You know, this is an odd one, um, but it's also me. So, uh, this is something where it's like kind of have a signature. Uh, of sorts that you kind of refine and refine and change up. So, for example, I think a lot of people can recognize my food just by, let's say, they know it's like acidic. If there's a lot of herbs, but I think one thing that people have picked up the last few years is I do like a lot of uh, variations of like savory toppings or sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that you you'll see. I did something last week on Instagram where I made a mix of. Uh, sesame seeds, uh, chili flakes, uh, powdered nori, nori and sea salt, and use that as like a savory topping. Or I'll do a mix of, uh, let's see, sumac, chili flakes, salt, uh, or uh, nutritional yeast, ground coriander. So that's like something I've definitely picked up and play around with, just different colors, different uh, seasoning. And so it doesn't have to be make a savory topping, but just think about something that... Uh, you can make a batch of, and you could apply it on a range of dishes. Yeah, a little something something.
0: Yeah. All right, number 10, your final rule. Food always looks better on a round plate with little to no
2: lip. Yeah, I mean, I will say like, I get very weird about the way food should be plated, whether it's in the test kitchen or at restaurants. Uh, I think it's really the last thing you can do before, well, you sit down and eat, or you send the dish to your guests. And it's a really just the last thoughtful thing you can do. Uh, so I always go, f- go for a round plate, again, with little to no lip. I'm very weird about that, as the, our f- photo team knows. Uh, but when in doubt, use just a plain white plate. I think food just always looks best.
0: Yeah, our um, Hot 10 Best New Restaurants in America just went up today. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, September 17th. But long oven restaurant uh, in Richmond, Virginia, a really cool small tasting menu restaurant, and they just do simple white plates, and we shot all like 10 courses in the menu. And the food just looks so amazing because it's such a simple canvas. There's no Baroque framing or anything, it's just
2: the food. It's so beautiful. I uh, That restaurant Long Island, I remember when they were a pop-up like three years ago, and I just definitely was taken aback. Uh, the food pops.
0: Yeah, they know what they're So um, check out our hot 10s It's up now. Bon Appetit's best new restaurants in America. Andy Bergani, thanks so much. Thanks, Adam.
2: The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wortsman with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and
0: Elise Inamide. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.